Our starting point for this Easter sermon is an unusual one. I have been preaching about the last sayings of Jesus, the seven sayings that Jesus says that Jesus says from the cross um, to those that are bearing witness to that event. And we have one more to go. And so today we're going to start with the phrase, it is finished. We're in John chapter 19, starting in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing all that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Here ends the reading of God's word. Today we're interested in this phrase, it is finished. Question for today is, what is finished? What is the it? And what does it mean that the it is finished? And since it's Easter morning, a day of resurrection, what does it mean that on Friday Jesus could say it's finished, and yet clearly he's not finished yet? To begin with, let us be clear that Jesus is not just saying that his life is over. He's not just saying, I'm done, this is the end. He's not just giving up. We know this because the word translated finished could also mean uh, accomplished, achieved, fulfilled. It's over, it's complete, it's fulfilled. The work is done. In the immediate, he means that his time on the cross is over. This ordeal of his suffering is complete. This time that Jesus had been intently walking towards, knew it was coming, he was expecting it, he was telling his disciples that he was going to his death, he was in no way, shape, or form surprised by it, but he willingly went to the cross. And now, whatever he was doing there, is accomplished. So what is it that's accomplished? What is it that's completed on the cross? Well, there's a lot of different things that the Bible uses, a lot of different metaphors, a lot of different principles that the Bible uses to describe this. But let's just pull a couple out of the Gospel of John since that's where our passage comes from. First, in John 1.29, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, this is right at the beginning, right before Jesus has really done anything. John makes note of saying that this is like the Lamb of God. He is thinking of the sacrificial system, a lamb that had to be slain on the altar for the sins of the people. And when John the Baptist, very early on in the ministry, sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The disciples don't seem to understand what Jesus is doing. Even at the end, they seem surprised that Jesus is dying. But John the Baptist, right away, understands that this is the Lamb of God. John 3 makes use of another Old Testament story to portray the work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus says, And and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then you'll know the next verse. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The story there that Jesus is referring to comes from Numbers 21. And the people are in the wilderness, and Moses has them out there, and uh, poisonous snakes keep coming in and biting the people. And so Moses is called on by the people to handle this poison snake dilemma. And so God tells Moses to put a brass serpent up on a pole in the middle of the camp. So he, he fashions this brass serpent on a pole in the middle of the camp, sets it up so that if people are bit by these snakes, they come over and look at the serpent on this pole, lift it up, and they're healed. And Jesus uses this story to say, you know how that serpent was lifted up? That's what's going to happen to me. Lifted up is a phrase used of the cross, that someone would be lifted up onto the cross. And so Jesus says, I'm like that serpent. I bring healing when I am lifted up for those who look upon me. God loved the world that much that he's giving me. He's giving me to bring that healing. In John 12, Jesus uses another image, the image of a grain of wheat to teach about his death. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is common language, right? I mean, everybody here has probably planted seeds before. The seed goes into the ground and the seed is destroyed. It dies, it is cracked open, and in that death, in that falling of the seed, comes new life, comes a plant. And Jesus says, like that grain of wheat, that's going to be me. I'm going to fall. I'm going to die. And out of that death is going to come new life, new fruit. Later Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says very plainly to his disciples, I'm doing this out of love. I am laying myself, my life down for you as my friends. Many other images we could find in the Bible, but those are just some of the ones we find in John to help us understand what Jesus is accomplishing on the cross. This is his mission, to do this work. He was born in a manger 33 years before this. We remember this story from Christmas, right? We remember the, the baby born in a manger, fully God and yet fully human. He has lived his life. He has done his ministry. And now he comes to the crux, to the high point, to the center of his ministry, his death on the cross. He is being slain like the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He is being lifted up so that he can bring wholeness and life to those that look upon him. And the grain has fallen to the ground and died so that new life can bloom. Jesus has shown that the greatest love he can offer is to lay down his life for his friends. When he says, it is finished, it's not just his life, it's his work. It's everything has come to this moment. 
And he says, it is finished. It is complete. And he breathes his last. It is finished. That is the message of Good Friday. But today is Easter. And today we remember that while it is finished, he is not. While it is finished, while his work is accomplished, it's not over. It's not done. Let's pick up the story in John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. The disciples think it's over. They think the story's done. When they hear Jesus say it's finished, or they hear those that were there tell him how he yelled out it is finished, they think it's finished. They think it's done. You've been walking around the last couple of days knowing Jesus was dying on the cross at Good Friday, and yet you knew Easter was coming because you scheduled it, and you got an outfit for it, and you planned how you were going to have lunch today. You knew Easter was coming. But the disciples did not. They don't know it's coming. They think he's dead. They think he's not coming back. So they go to the tomb, the women go to the tomb, to find the corpse that they had helped put, had helped put there. Very early in the morning, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. The Sabbath is over, so she is now able to go and help take care of the body. She probably can't sleep. She's probably been up all night. <coughs> so she goes in the dark, finds the place. She was at the cross. She saw Jesus suffer. She probably stands at a distance as he yells, it is finished, and breathes his last. She expects a closed tomb and a dead body. Instead, she finds that the tomb has been moved. The body is gone. She quickly runs in the dark still to tell the disciples. Peter and John run to the tomb also. Notice there's a lot of running going on, right? There's no waiting. No patience. we got to find what's going on. we got to get to the bottom of this right now. They run, and the younger John outruns Peter. He gets there, and he kind of looks in the tomb, but he can't quite bring himself to go in, right? But we know Peter is not like that. Okay, Peter is a headstrong, headfirst kind of guy. So while John's kind of like looking in, wondering, Peter finally catches up, and he goes in to take a look. And what do they find? The linen cloths are just 
kind of piled up there where the body had been sitting. But the cloth that was around his face and his head, the text tells us, is not with the rest of the cloth, but it is folded up by the head. This is a very interesting uh, description because the word for that linen cloth around the head could also be um, translated handkerchief or could be translated a napkin. There was a um, particular tradition in those days. Uh, Meals would often take a long time. All all evening you'd be eating. And you'd kind of eat and then you'd go out out into the yard. You'd come back to your meal and you'd go back and forth. And so they they developed a, a system to try to let the servants know whether you were done with your food and they should clear your plate or whether you were going to come back. And, and the thing was your napkin. Okay? If you just balled your napkin up and left it there, that was a sign, I'm done, I'm not coming back for this meal. But if your napkin, the same word that John uses to describe that cloth around Jesus' head, if your napkin was folded... It meant you weren't done. It meant you were coming back. It meant you were coming back to finish whatever it was still sitting there. And so they look in and they see this cloth. And John gives us this wonderful symbol reminding us of the folded napkin that reminds the servants that I'm not done. I'm coming back. John sees it, believes Peter's still kind of wondering there. They still don't understand that he has to rise from the dead. They still don't understand what all this means. But they've got a sign, a little bit of hope, that maybe this story isn't over. As the day goes on, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and to the disciples into the upper, in the upper room, some disciples walking on the way to Jerusalem. And they begin to put together that Jesus had to rise from the dead. That his work was finished. It was accomplished on the cross. And yet there was more to be done. It is so essential for us that Jesus rose from the dead. We can't just have a Savior that dies for us and for our sins and remains dead. He has to defeat sin and death. I read this interesting image of this from a missionary and Christian writer named Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee said, if I were to take a $20 bill and put it inside of a magazine, right? Just slide it in the pages somewhere of a magazine. And then I were to to burn the magazine. What would happen to the $20 bill? It would burn. Because when I put it in the magazine, whatever happens to the magazine is what's going to happen to the $20 bill. Watchman Nee says, God puts you and I in Christ. He he puts you and I in Christ. And so whatever happens to Christ is what happens to us. Like that bill in that magazine. And so it's this amazing, amazing moment when Jesus dies and when he says it is finished. Because we die. And it is finished for us. And all of our sin and all of our regrets and all of our shame and all of our brokenness dies there on the cross. And all the penalty for all the wrong stuff we've done or the right stuff we've avoided done, doing dies right there with Jesus. But if Jesus stays dead and we're in Christ, 
then we stay dead too. We need an Easter. Because when Christ is risen, we are risen. When Christ comes out of the tomb, we come out of our tomb. When Christ finds new life, you and I find new life. And that is the good news of Easter. Because you might really want a new life. You really may have some regrets and some pain from your life. You may have done some wrong things in your life. Today is a day where I can promise you, you have new life. Because your life is in Christ, and Christ has new life. And he gives that new life to you. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say, in 1 Corinthians 15, if there's no resurrection, there's no point in being here, and there's no point in this faith. Let me read just a couple of different verses. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. See, this isn't just hope. For now, it's hope for eternity. And it's hope for your loved ones gone before you. It's hope, it's new life, and it's only new life if this Easter story is true. If it's accomplished on the cross, but it's not done yet. And here's the tricky part. We live in the moments between it is finished and it is over. Someday we believe that that Christ is going to make all things new and this world is going to be turned upside down. And all wrongs are going to be righted. And Christ is going to rule for eternity. And we believe that that was won on the cross when Jesus said it was finished. And so now we live live between it is finished and it is over. And it's sometimes hard to live there. (coughs) Because the pain and effects of sin are still around us. Sometimes it's against logic. Sometimes it's against what we see. This Easter, may you believe that it is finished. And may new life spring up in your life. Amen.